Welcome to the 624 Pod, your home for all things independent films. We're going to discuss all the positives and negatives when it comes to independent filmmaking. We're going to have incredible guests from the film industry talk about the behind the scenes experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, and how the industry has changed in the past 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, minutes, hours, years. years. That's the point. It's always changing. And of course, we will always focus on independent filmmaking right here in our state of New Jersey. I'm Tom Baldinger. And I'm Mark Rigadana. All right, let's do this. All right, Tom, who do we have this week? This week, this week's episode, we have a, a friend of yours, a friend of mine, a friend of both of ours. Uh, we have the accomplished producer, director, writer, Ronnie Marmo. Ronnie, thank you so much for, for joining the show. Ronnie uh, has a fantastic show uh, tour that's going on right now called I'm Not a Comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce. Uh, Ronnie's also been in multiple films. I'll, I'll let him tell the, you know, he's been on, he's been on TV, General Hospital. Uh, he's, he's done some amazing work. He's produced, he's directed. Um, so Ronnie, thank you so much for, for coming on to the 624 podcast. Thank you for having me. I wore my best t-shirt for you guys. I love hey, it. Hey, I got There's Tom a- Kiefer on underneath. Uh, we're both 80s rockers. Oh, listen, I'm still incredibly loyal to what I listened to in the eighties. Nothing has changed. <laughs> Nothing. It's amazing. So on actually on Friday, they released because uh, Friday was Eddie Van Halen's three year anniversary of, of his of his passing. Wow. They released it's called Van Halen, the collections number two. And it's all the Sammy Hagar songs, all the albums they re-released and re-recorded them. You know, they like bumped them up the sounds and stuff like that, because the first album with with Hagar was 5150 and you listen to it. You know, and it sounds like the, because when they 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 made it digital, it just didn't sound right. You know, and they they remastered it, and it, I was listening to it last night again, just sticking to the old eighties, and it just sounded amazing. And even my son, who was here earlier, he he called me when I was at my daughter's softball practice. He goes, "Dad, I'm listening to Van Halen Collection too. It sounds amazing." I was like, "Of course it does." You know, you know, you know, know what's amazing about that? You guys know, as you mentioned, I do the one man show about Lenny Bruce. It's called "I'm Not a Comedian, I'm Lenny Bruce." I'm writing my next one man show. It's called "I'm Not a Guitar Player, I'm Eddie Van Halen." There you go. <laughs> That's me, baby. 1987. Is that you? It looked yeah, like Van Halen. Look at that. It does. It does. That's it's hot for teacher. That is hot for teacher, right I'm there. I'm not a guitar player. I'm Eddie Van Halen. That's my next one man show. <laughs> but speaking of your one man show, my I I got to meet you. We have mutual friends, but I got to meet you in person doing John Fugel sang show. Mm-hmm. And then we, my wife and I, came to see your one man show, and it was amazing. It was so it was fun. And, and and it's you know bio what 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 would you call it on stage? It's not a biopic. No, but, but it's it, a it's a, a, a bio. Yeah, I don't know what do you call it. It's, it's a, a bio stage. Bio stage. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make that up. It's True a new story. Word. Story. So uh, talk to us. So tell us what's uh, what's next. What's going on with? Uh, I mean, we've both seen the show. Uh, I've seen it multiple times. Um, What's next for 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 the for I'm not a comedian. I'm Lenny Bruce. What's what's next? So we're doing great. We're booking all these great cities. The next show, the next place we're playing, I'm playing uh, November 30th through December 3rd. I think I'm playing San Diego and it's the second time this year. And, And it's really unique because when you do theater, it's different than stand up. When you do like a theatrical production, if you get booked in a place once every 18 months, that means they love you. 
you know, you can't bring a show back so fast. And yeah. I did the show, uh, I think it was, I don't know, like March or April this year. And we sold out two months before we got there. So they're like, hey, you want to come back this year and do another five performances? So it's really cool to be in a situation where like, because that's pretty unheard of. And I'm very grateful. Yeah. So, and, and it's always a great uh, thing to do when I don't have to get on a plane to perform. I like that I drive to San Diego from LA. <laughs> you <laughs> actually get to see your house. Which oh, is I know. Whenever I can sleep in my bed, man, that's amazing. We just got off a 20-day tour, and I, I slept. We counted. I slept in five different beds in seven days. Wow. Oof. And I was like, I was in South Bend, Indiana and Fairmont and we were in Chicago and Indianapolis and we were all over the place and literally five different beds. So when you do that, like you wake up in the middle of the night, you got to go to the bathroom, you're banging into walls. You think you're in place. You're <laughs> you know? So uh, um, it's nice to get back to your, to your bed. The, but things the only other profession that you do that is a <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, it's great. And so we've got a lot of cities uh, lined up um, and a lot of great conversations happening. In fact, we talk, there's three different New Jersey theaters all asking for me to do the show there maybe this January. Awesome. Nothing's locked, but three different theaters in a two week span. Which can you, would be can you say who they are? Or? I don't want to say yet because I might right. be able to do it. So you know, I, I got you. I got you. That's good. Until, well, until, until the signs, you know how that goes, but, but you'll be the first to know. I'll text you. The bring it minute. back to New Jersey, which you are originally from Woodbridge, New Jersey. Okay. Correct. Woodbridge, New Jersey. I'm a central Jersey guy for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So for anybody who, who's watching and, 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 and listening doing theater and, you know, uh, wants to do film, wants to do theater. Now you have this traveling show, and it's it's essentially a one man show. You're going around, and uh, how do you try to balance to be able to get? You know, you still do film, you still do television work. How do you balance it, or is it just kind of throwing caution in the wind of like, I think I'm off this month, and I have this open, and maybe I can do that. The nightmare of logistics, being on a traveling show. It's pretty stressful. Yeah. But the good news is, is like when you book a city, like I said, it's very rare if you book a, a, a show uh, and it, it's at least a year out. So, you know, that, you know, yeah. so you're doing film and TV, like you, you ask them to work around you or you put yourself in a position where you're helping make the decisions, which is what I like to do in film and TV the most. Um, and so you just kind of schedule accordingly that way, but it's certainly logistical, but as an actor, like, you know, whenever you get opportunities, you got to figure out a way to make it happen. So you just do, you know, you figure it out. But it has been stressful. There has been times when I had to pass up on like a great audition when they were doing uh, the offer. I couldn't read oh, yeah. for it because I was in Chicago playing the sellouts every night. I, I, yeah. I said, I'm so sorry. I have to pass on, on the to be able to read for it. And so things yeah. like that have happened. But you just kind of go quality problems, champagne problems, you know. Mm. Yeah, I guess I I heard the opposite story with um uh, we were talking about earlier. Paul Provenza was on tour with Steve Martin's show, and he had opportunities for these auditions, and it was like you can't. He took off, and they had an understudy come in for one audition, and then he didn't get it, and then the same casting people said, "This guy's doing another show, and he really wants you for this, but you have to come and read." But like he's basically giving you this part and he's, they were like, yeah, we can't do the understudy thing again. You blew your, 
you blew your moment. Wow. Well, that's why it's good with this show that I'm actually the producer as well. So I can yeah. kind of decide what I want to do. Um, I, I've looked for an understudy and uh, someday maybe I'll find one, but I haven't yet. So <laughs> I really did try it really hard, but I haven't found anybody who I feel like I'd be comfortable running. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned the whole understudy because we, we were talking with Jackie Burns earlier and she's doing uh, Titanic uh, off Broadway now. And it, it ran from June to January and then it got extended another six months. So she's good. It's going to be running for a full year. Uh, and I asked her, I said, you know, how many performances are you doing? You know, how many are you doing versus your understudy? And she said, Oh no, 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 I, I, I do. I do all the performances. I maybe once in a while I let the understudy, not I let, but the understudy would do it. And it's like, for you, you're like, this is me. This is what I want to do. This is, I, I leave it up on the stage. Never, any actor watching this, if you're new in the business, Never let your understudy go on because the director goes, oh, they're interesting. Because mm. they've been looking at you for months or a year. Forget it. I don't care if you got 104 fever, if you're limping, get on stage. Don't let your understudy work. I know it sounds terrible, but you're not as interesting when they see another take on it. They go, oh, that's interesting. Now, what would you now? What would you say to actors who are understudies waiting for that opportunity? Get a wrench and break the leg. I mean, <laughs> don't just sprain the ankle. You got to. There's got to be a break because <laughs> this guy will go on limping because he just got the advice. <laughs> I have gone on with 104 fever, like Ooh. sick, terribly ill. Um, so I would say, honestly, if you're an understudy, treat it as an opportunity to watch and learn. And, and there's value in that because there was a time not too long ago, I would have, I, I did do it. Um, and you know, just butter up and try to be charming to the actor playing the role and see if they'll throw you a bone when you're, when your parents are in town, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, but really do it for other reasons, do it for the opportunity to learn and grow and, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Now, when when you're acting and you're on stage and you're doing, you do a lot of theater. You have a theater company that are it's bi-coastal, so you're obviously hitting the stage a lot. But theater sixty eight, theater sixty eight, New York, L.A. Yeah, probably yep. will have. But now, you you're doing a theater piece. You're working on Lenny. You're doing. You're out on the road. You get a phone call. You you, I I got this part in this film now you have to make the adjustment what are some of the adjustments you make to go from your theater piece to the film and not the obvious of it just being on camera to stage but on stage you make that character feel intimate even though it's in a 500 seat theater or whatever how do you make that switch you know, technically, it's really different. And people who don't respect the differences, you could see that on screen. My first few movies are like, I'm so embarrassed because I'm like, eh, eh. I'm like Roberto Benigni on 10 cups of espresso. <laughs> so like, I had no idea that like I should sit on my hands and just kind of <laughs> keep it very still. So I had to learn how to do that. Um, it's a very different thing. So I would say anybody who's trying, like just checking both out, make sure you respect both of them differently and, and try to learn how to do them. Um, I was working with a great actor. Her name is Liz Torres. You've seen her in a million things. She was on All in the Family. She was the maid. But then she was in uh, Gilmore Girls. She played Miss Patty. She's been in everything. And she played my mom in a film. And we're sitting around doing this scene one time. And I said, Liz, and she's to me, she's a legend. And I was like, so sometimes I just can't stop with my face. You know, mm. I'm so animated. And she yeah. goes, she goes, I've been fighting my face my whole career, you know, 
Wow. And, I, and it was a relief to me to go like, because she's a theater person first, like I am first. And yeah. the older pro is having the same problem. Oh, she's like, I'm always fighting my face. Sometimes I'm like, stop it. You know, I was doing another movie and my friend Brian Green, Brian Austin Green came to set and I was like, I was all over the place. And he goes, sit on your hands for this whole scene. I'm telling you, it was a nice romantic scene with this girl. Where he goes, do not let your hands, sit on your hands. So I sat on my hands the whole scene. You could see it in the movie, me just sitting on my hands. And uh, it was some of the best work I, I have ever done. It was so wow. simple and so honest. And I was so like, I didn't ex waste all that energy. You know, like I, yeah. I just, you kind of channel it to your face and your eyes and your thoughts and you keep it really simple. But when you're, a theater actor and Italian American, you got a big problem on your hands. <laughs> you know, we're all like, you know, oh, you know, it's crazy. So it's really for us, it's even harder to to. So Ron, yeah. uh, Ronnie, being on the on the road with with uh, with Lenny Bruce show, um, <clears throat> you and I have talked about this. You you and I have had conversations where, you know, it was the day after you ran the show and you were exhausted. You're exhausted, right? You're leaving so much on the stage how do you find the energy and the power to do that and you know go to all these cities and go to all these different theaters and sleeping into all these different hotels you know what would you tell actors who are you know up and coming and or you know seasoned actors you know what what are what are some of the tricks and trades that you're do to keep that what's that, a process yeah what's the what's you... the how do you keep that passion going you know, some actors I know who are very well established, you would know them. They think I'm crazy in the first, they're like, you're nuts to do this. It's already like a, you know, high wire, tight wire act, whatever the hell you call it. So yeah. it's a little crazy to do it in the first place. But how do I do it? It's like, basically, if you're an actor and you aren't really passionate about what you're doing, then you can't really dig this deep. So I first care so much about Lenny. I feel like I'm doing something for Lenny that he... He didn't get to finish. So I mm. feel like I'm here on his behalf, genuinely. And I don't mean to get too spiritual on you, but I really do feel like I'm going to continue his voice because his got stopped short. Um, and so I just, if you see me five minutes before I go on stage, or you go, this guy's a wreck. He's never going to go out there. Like I say, I'm not going out. Forget it. I'm not doing it. Full house. Forget it. <laughs> the second I go out there and the second I take a breath and the second I get that one laugh, or I feel the energy, something just switches in me. And I'm like, this is what I do. I love mm. it, what I do. So if you don't really love it at some point, I think you will be found out and you'll probably leave doing it. You won't do it very long. I think, I think you know, at some point, I don't want to say a fraud, but I do, I do think like if it's not really what you do or who you are, at some point it might get a little too much because I'm exhausted. I mean, yeah. I I have a, I kind of, if you talk technically how I handle it, I have a little mantra that I say throughout the whole show when I feel like I'm not paying attention or or I'm, I'm exhausted or the audience is not giving me anything. I say to myself repeatedly, listen to the words and listen to yourself. And that's it. And so when I take when I take the words moment by moment, word by word, and I listen to the words and then listen to myself, meaning how they affect me, it propels me forward into the performance. And and then because I'm probably an untreated ADD, I'm sure of it. So every other page I'm trying to settle down and recommit because mm. it's not easy for me to stay focused, you know? And so listen to the words, listen to yourself. And I have another mantra, nice mm. energy, 
nice and easy, nice and mm. easy. So that's how that's how I get through it. And then and then and then I see how the audience feels about it. And then I go, it's it's like we're we're sharing this thing, and and so then that kind of takes me over the finish line. Their love for what I'm doing. Have you? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say what you're saying right now is I feel like what you felt when uh, when Torres was talking to you because I'm going every time I go to do stand up, I I I'm waiting to go on. The the MC goes to bring my name up, and I go. I could just leave right now. I'll just walk out the door. <laughs> I get in my car. I'll drive home. Nobody needs to know I was even here, and I'll start a life doing something else. I'll just get out of this shit. And then as soon as I walk up to the microphone, I have no idea what I'm about to say, and I go, "Fuck it, you'll think of something." You know and what? You're I a just true performer. You're a true performer. That because that's because it's true. You are that person. That's what I mean about the truth and not the truth. Like, I, I almost crap my pants every time I have to go out. And I go, <laughs> every I'm time I quit. And I'm in quitting. my situation, I have to literally get naked. It's the only show in the world that I start. To yeah, play. you you start off stark naked, dead naked on the toilet. So like, I'm the only guy who has to undress to go out on stage. And, <laughs> and so here I am, naked. exposing <laughs> yourself emotionally is not enough. <laughs> Listen, I've got a thousand people in the audience going, and I'm standing behind the curtain naked, standing here listening with thousands of people mumble, 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 and I hear Joe Montaigne's voice of my director, his announcement, and I go, "Oh my, what am I doing? What's uh, wrong with me?" And then you get out there, and it's like, you know. Here we go. It's the best. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> Ronnie, have you I, and I've I you hear professional uh, athletes say this, and 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 even my son will say this when he he's in net, right? And he'll have a great game, or you'll hear these professional athletes have these great games, and they say during that time, it's almost as if they blacked out. And you're like, you and like I said to my son, I'm like, do you remember that great save? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I just I'm so in a zone. You have to watch the film. Yeah. Have do you have or have you had moments like that where you walked off the stage and either your wife, uh, Janelle, or somebody has said to you, Oh my God, what you did was amazing. This that you that one line when you know when the court scene and you're you're on your knees and you're screaming up, have you ever gone, oh, I don't I don't know what I did, I just did it. Like do you Listen, ever black out? I've done this monologue four hundred and twenty-eight times for an audience, ninety minute monologue. And I, I would say 400 times I've had exactly that experience. The other 28 is really difficult when you're standing on the side of the stage watching your performance. You ever have one of those when you're watching uh -huh. your performance? It's the worst. But so do I black out? Yeah, those, those are the nights when it feels like the show was on for 10 minutes and I want more. Yeah. And I don't want uh -huh. it to end. It happens all the time, but that's when I get lost in it. I listen to the words, I listen to myself, and it, and it catapults me somewhere else the nights that i'm like i'm pretty good at this and uh, <laughs> that's when i fall on my face mm. it, like like i always feel like i have to start with a respect for the words for this 90 minute massive undertaking i have to start with a respect and a vulnerability for that and come from a genuine like i don't know if i'm going to remember the word i don't know if this i still don't know if i know the words i've done it this many times i still am not sure i'm going to know the words the next time i do it and I think that's why I keep doing it because I'm humbled by it, and I don't and I don't think I'm all that good at it, which is a good thing. You know what I you're mean? You're a stand-up <laughs> comic. That's what you are. You're a stand. You're you're describing everything that a comic has, 
before the show, I look at my notes and I go, I don't have enough material to fill in this time. Mm. I don't have enough. I, I don't even know what I open with. What am I going to do? <laughs> and oh. I just, if I'm on stage and there's a fire exit next to the stage, until I talk into the microphone, I'm contemplating going right out that fire exit <laughs> and walk out. And then when you're on stage, the only difference I feel like with doing when you're acting on stage and when you're doing stand up is how you lose yourself. I think a comic, when they're in their flow, they almost like see out of their third eye or above them because they're scanning the audience to make sure everybody's laughing and figuring out everybody's happy while their body's doing the, the show. And there's like somebody looking at the audience like, Oh, there's a lot of old people. You know what? You better do the stuff about uh, your kid. You know, like you start to pipe down. There's nothing better than when you're in total control of the room. There's nothing better as an actor, as a performer. And this one man show, people ask me all the time if I'm a stand-up, but I'm like, I have too much respect for stand-up comics that I can't say, I can't say that I am. It's a hard job, but I think I could do it. And and I do do it as Lenny. I play, I do a lot of stand-up in the show, but, but uh, it's nothing better than when you're, cause I see, I play into a thousand, I played the 1600 people in Pittsburgh. 1600. Nice. And it was amazing, but I see the one guy in the 10th row to the left, who's got a miserable face. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's like, all you think about. Oh, the whole time I'm trying to make him happy. And I've got 1,599 people like, <laughs> laughing. And, ah, and this one guy, what's, what's wrong with him? It's, uh, it's crazy. And I think, I think, though, for anybody who's, like, trying to do this, I think if you come at this from the point of view of, like, just humility and, and, and passion, I think you got a shot at being great. I think if you come at it like you're any good at it, I mean, look, yeah. off the air, I'm happy to share with you guys off the air some some great actors who we've seen their work. And then one day they woke up and they clearly figured out they were a great actor and then their work changed. Mm, yeah. uh, a few great actors where I'm like, oh, he knows he's a good actor now. I see what's it's, going on here. Right, right. I hate that. I hope I'm never that guy because. You know, I, it's funny you're saying that because I was just talking to my wife about this. If you read Robin Williams' book, Robin and you didn't know who he was, you'd go, this guy's a total failure. He, he didn't. <laughs> I know. He, 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 greatest. The entire book, he didn't, he wasn't a funny enough comic. He didn't do enough stand-up. He wasn't a good actor. Anything Jeez. he ever got was by accident. He didn't deserve any of it. And you're just going, if you didn't know he was Robin Williams and you just read this book and it was like Bob instead of Robin, you would go, this guy's this poor bastard total failure wasted his yeah. life and you know what man he and and here's what he did first of all he's one of our greatest talents yeah for but sure what, what he did was he created from that broken vulnerable place and and that's what i try to do when i'm on stage like i not i try not to create from between my ears i try to create from that place that i don't think i'm very good mm. and i'm vulnerable because that's when the magic happens because i really do believe people don't go to the theater to see me they come to the theater to see themselves in me and they want to yeah. identify. And that's what I really believe. Wow. So, so I open myself up almost like here's me and I hope I represent all of you. And, and th there's been a few times when I thought I was pretty damn good and it didn't go well, man. And so yeah. it's like when I'm coming from that place of like insecurity, vulnerability, fear, that's when I think it's at its best.
you know. We hear it all the time as comics. If you're talking backstage and like how's things going, blah blah blah, and you're like, you know, things are going good, so I'm waiting for the big bomb to drop. Uh. As soon as you think you're like, man, I'm crushing, you're about to get your ass kicked. <laughs> and then you That's go into it. That's why you keep doing. There's a challenge in that, you know. Yeah. Now there were some uh, greats uh, used to do this, and they talked about it at the club when I was a door guy. Some really great comics. I'm talking about like it was like Louis C.K., Greg Fitzsimmons, all these really strong guys who were knew they would kill, and they would purposely go out and throw the first three minutes, and try to get the audience to hate them, say the most horrific. Real thing, just to get the audience to hate them, and then see how long it took to win them back. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like I remember as a door guy sitting there going, "Like, God damn it, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to win one." <laughs> like you're purposely throwing half the game so you can. That's crazy to me. How great is it though? It's like to me when I hear that, I think like, how how amazing would it be to be that comfortable? being uncomfortable but just knowing like this is what i do and mm. this is who i am the balls it takes to do that the like confidence I, yeah i admire that and uh maybe they're confident or maybe they're self-deprecating and think they suck anyway and, <laughs> and, and, that, and that's where the brilliance is you know the sadness of comics is they're both yeah <laughs> they're I, extremely arrogant broken people well that's why that's why these great comedians once they like get a TV show and they get that house in Beverly Hills, they don't they don't write from the same place. Their yeah. material kind of like we saw, and I, you know, there's the greatest comedians of all time besides Pryor and Carlin and and Lenny guys like Eddie Murphy. There was oh, no yeah. funnier than Eddie Murphy. He's a, right. he's in my top three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but and I'm not saying he's not funny now, but I'm saying once you sleep, you know, you once you start sleeping in satin sheets, you know, it's hard to write the material. Well, didn't he? Didn't didn't Eddie Murphy even say that? You, yeah. Like years later, when he stopped doing stand up, and he said, "I don't think I'm funny anymore. I can't go back to that." I, I think he's still funny, but the problem is, is people are fighting and you know scraping together the money to go see Eddie Murphy. And the opening line would be like, "Your Lexus ever run out of gas?" <laughs> well, this isn't funny. Right. I don't have a Lexus. I don't have yeah. a Lexus. He's not relatable anymore. Yeah, yeah. and he's he knew like that. Eddie Murphy raw. Nothing was oh. better than that, man. Oh no, for sure. Delirious and Raw, those were his two best. And but, his... but then but there are a lot of guys like that that suddenly yeah. they get money. There's very few that could actually get the payday and still be great. Yeah. That's really yeah. fair because you know because well, they uh, in a broken place. You know? It's something that kept Seinfeld safe is it's observational, it's not personal. So cereal is still cereal, whether you're a billionaire or struggling. It's still cereal. So if you do mm. a joke about cereal, He's like, everybody will relate. What's the deal with Tide? It's so funny. He's talking about Tide. You know, I listen, yeah. is one of the cleanest comics, and I he, he just tickles me so much, you know. <laughs> so Ronnie, you know, you you we spent some time here talking about the 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 amount of preparation, the amount of work, the amount of passion that you put on the stage with the Lenny Bruce show. Have you had that experience in TV or film in a role where you were on set, whether it's studio or independent, where you you 
you had a blackout moment where you just you gave everything and you walked off and you go, oh, wow, that was. That I hope I was good. Or I, I don't that, remember it. I don't remember it. I was exhausting. Like that was like, have you had moments like that? Or have you seen as a director or a producer, have you seen actors go through that? Yeah. I mean, I have, there have been moments, I mean, blackout in terms of the same way I would blackout on stage. I don't think so because you know, you're shooting two, three pages and like, I could tell you when I did criminal minds, the character mm -hmm. of criminal minds, yep. those five days I was on set or whatever it was, that was a real journey. And I kind of had that experience where like I was just in the work. Um, it's really hard to just be in the work when you've got 80 people staring at you and you're doing two pages and then they flip the camera around and they get the other side of this scene eight hours later. It's very hard to yeah. stay. I always say they don't pay me to act. They pay me to wait and, and pay me to be mm. ready when it's my turn again. Mm. That's what I get paid for, not the acting part. So, so yes, I've had moments where I got lost in a character but not to the extreme that I would in a 90 minute performance in front of a few thousand people. And cause Lenny Bruce, I mean, people think we, we deal with it on the road when people book us, they, they want to use the cute smiley face and I want to use the middle finger, you know, mm. and when I get there, they go, Oh, this, it's a beautiful theatrical production, the lighting, the sound, right. They think they're getting a stand up routine. And I go, no, no, this is so to do Lenny, the emotional, I always say it's the funniest tragedy you'll see. There's a lot of funny, but it's tragic. Mm. And and so I don't think I could compare a stage to film and TV. I've definitely had moments when I got lost in a character and then the shoot was over and I was like, wow, I'm really proud of the depth and the work. But to like black out completely, not really. Maybe certain scenes for a little bit, but nothing like a 90-minute ride on stage. Yeah. When you, it's you and the audience and nothing else. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, I do start to play dead naked on the toilet and, and, and people lights come up. It's a very striking first image. People mm. either giggle or they let out a breath. They don't know what to do with that information. Right. And, and what I'm saying to the audience it might sound corny and a little kooky, but what I'm saying to the audience is this is as vulnerable as I, as I can be. So can you come on this ride with me? and be vulnerable with me for 90 minutes. Like, will you come with me on this ride? And sometimes an audience will, that'll translate to them just from that moment. And somebody will tell me afterwards, like, wow, I really felt. And so I'm like, okay, you got it. So, so that's really, it's hard to create that on a film or a television because of stopping and starting the stopping and starting. And plus with independent filmmaking, when you have lots of low budgets, it's get in, get out, get it as quickly as possible. You know, there's, you know, as an actor, you have to prep as much because you know that either the producer and the director, they only have six hours to shoot this, you know, shoot 10, 10 pages or, you know, eight pages. And so, you know, as an actor, you have to be prepared and ready to go once, you know, once it's ready, ready to rock and roll, especially for independent films. Would, would you agree yeah. with that? Oh, are you kidding me? It's even harder when you are somehow on the producing team and you're acting because then you you have the internal clock that you're trying to shut off because yep. you want to do your best performance, but yet you know we got to go. And right. so therein lies most. I've been very blessed in my career to have produced, you know, 15 things or whatever and directed a whole bunch of things. And so within all those times, that's a that's a struggle that no one sees, but you but I'm having. 
And we um, had we had that with with the, the three of us on Unsuited, right? So Ronnie, you're you're one of the producers of Unsuited, our our our, our web excuse me, our TV series that we're that we're making, and and you as a producer, and you're sitting there as as the actor, co-starring in a scene with with Mark in that in the bar in Woodbridge. I'm sure you're probably going, Tom. We got to move along. We got to move along, right? And I'm sitting there oh, as a director, you, right? So it's, it's you great. know, I did. I'm I'm on the scene, like acting, and I'm going, Tom. Come on, we got to go. We got to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a funny place to be because you can't fully give yourself to either, but but hopefully you feel like okay, you're professional enough and good enough that uh, you'll do a, a a really good job, and you know that's why with Lenny when I'm on you know Joe Montaigne is my director, and the reason I could be as good as I am in this show is because I turned my my whole will and trust over to him and said please like help me with this. And and so I trusted him. And so do I worry about producing and stuff? Sure. I do that. But when I'm on stage in the rehearsal process, it was just him and I, and you know, it was a different thing. You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, but uh, we do, unless you have a, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the question. All right. So we, we asked this question of all our guests um, and I think I'm going to do it a little bit differently with Ronnie because we okay. talked a lot about stage. Yeah, we talked uh, we talked about film and the whole process. So I'm going to give you the option to answer this. The question is, what are your three favorite films or three best films and three theatrical shows, whether it be musical or non-musical? And I'm going to throw a curve in. Go ahead. For the for the state for the, the theatrical, what, instead of it just being your three favorites that you want to be in, so not want to performed in my favorites that I've seen, that, um, or you could redo, you could redo, yeah, or you, that you performed in, yeah, for sure, whatever, yeah. So, so they could be my three favorites, not like Goodfellas, because I, I mean I love Goodfellas, but I wasn't in that. So ones that I performed in, or ones that I just love. No, 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 the no. ones that you just love for films. Three films that you three absolutely love. Three films you love, but then three plays that you want to be, you want to do. So three films I love. I love, uh, in no particular order, uh, The Pope of Greenwich Village. Oh. That's probably my favorite that's because, because that's when I looked at the screen at 11 years old and went, I could do that. I think I can do that. So <laughs> see a young Ronnie Marmo getting when his... Eric Roberts and Mickey Rourke in their prime had that scene with the thumb and the cutoff and the and the, the way the two cousins relate to each other. I was like, that's magic. And so I know that's kind of obscure film. Not everybody has seen it or cares about it. But the Pope of Goody's Village. I usually pick films not that are my favorite films that have like affected my life. Sure, that's so great. I love it. Pope of Greenwich Village. Like I think planted a seed. That I was yeah. like, what is that? I could do that. I love uh, one of my favorite films is uh, is uh, Life is Beautiful, mm -hmm. Roberto Benigni, La Vida Bella. It's it's like I don't know how anybody could uh, discuss the Holocaust and make it funny. Mm -hmm. This guy's a genius, and and it was a beautiful film, and especially everything going on with Israel. Bless those poor people. It's terrible, yeah. um, terrible. Um, but I love Life is Beautiful. I love, uh, I think about Raging Bull a lot because, because that's when I was like, I mean, the scene I was just like, oh my God, he's incredible. Like, you know, so, mm. so 
I think I'm more, I think like, I love Goodfellas. I love the Godfather. Those are, right. but those are to me like guarantees and obvious. I'm talking about right. the ones that affected me on some level that I have. To yeah. Do, you know? oh, I love awesome. that. I Great love answers. That. Great answer. Yeah. And, and so the, we were just talking the Fugal thing about that time period. Yeah, we were, we were just talking about the, this like, is the weirdest day. Every, everybody's interviews are like, are in, it's like, did you listen to the last person? Yeah, because you guys John Fogel saying the films like that, but they don't write those scripts like that anymore. They can't do Taxi Driver again. They can't do uh, what was the great film with Pacino? Uh, uh, Serpico. Serpico. This, today the movie would be forty-five minutes too long, but right, the yeah. work there was no cutting, no editing. The work between actors was beautiful. Nobody wants to see that now. I'm like, are you crazy? That's why we keep talking about them because I think actors who love this. Yeah. appreciate what that was and 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 we we don't have that anymore it's too much and they wait and the and and ronnie the way they were shot too it was well, it was a lot of wide medium wide shots right it was like you were watching a theater or excuse me a stage performance on uh, in film right? i always talk about the deer hunter the first 15 oh. minutes of the deer hunter it's like this giant crazy wedding you don't even know what's going on but you're you can't look away and then all of a sudden they get into the movie and you're like what the hell am I in for? You know, I'll tell you a quick, a quick something. John Savage has become a friend, and and there's a line he did in The Deer Hunter that I still use as emotional prep when I have mm. to get emotional. He did a line I'll never forget. Remember, the, remember when he was in Deer Hunter and he turns to De Niro and they're in the they're in the tank, you know, underneath the and the rats are everywhere, and he says, "Michael, I want to go home." Mm. He says, oh. I want to go home. And, and De Niro goes, it's okay. I still use that. It gets me, like, it works me up. Because I understand, you know, there's, like, these little triggers. And so I love that film, man, Deer Hunter. Oh. And as far as theater goes, you know, there's so many. I mean, now that I'm of this age, I really want to do uh, A View from the Bridge. Ooh. I think I'm old enough to play Eddie now. I've always wanted to play Eddie. Nice. So I saw Anthony LaPaglia do it and Brittany Murphy and uh, Allison Janney 28 years ago. But I want to do that. Um, yeah, there, there's so many. I mean, I don't sing. Uh, obviously, if I could play a part in Hamilton and not sing, I would do it. <laughs> but uh, you played the mute president. Exactly, exactly. Just learn how to rap. But but even like Rent, right? I'm not a singer, but that that musical when it came out, I'll never forget it. It was like because I was like, I don't like musicals. Musicals are stupid. I, <laughs> and then so rent was like oh my god i love this you know and then suddenly it like opened my world so rent is one of those that on the surface would be like well, so what but like anything that affects me so much that it changes me mm. and makes me go in a new direction is what i love and so rent is that for me it opened up then i went to see les mis and all these musicals that have nothing to do with like this rock musical right but stuff like that so i'm, I'm more affected i could appreciate art for art but but my favorites are the ones that actually did something me. to you. Yeah. yeah. And moving Yeah. I love it. great answers. Great, great yeah, answers. answers. This was a great episode. Yeah. Thank Flew Ronnie. By. Thank you so much. Janelle, can Janelle pop her head in, say hi real quick? My beautiful wife. Your, your beautiful wife. She is. Yeah, she is. Hey, Janelle. Hey. This is Janelle Marmo, and she's also in our, our TV series Unsuited. So, so glad to, and you know what, Janelle, next time we're going to have both of you guys on. All right. We're going to have both of you guys on. I won't on. do it if she's on. I won't do it. <laughs> I'm upstage you. you know, you're going to upstage you. Look at her. She's so beautiful. She's, uh, she's funny. She's talented. I forget. I'll disappear in the air. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, guys, what's that? 
As long as he says all of those things from the top all over again, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you guys for having me and having us. And uh, I wish yeah. you luck on this awesome endeavor you guys are doing. I think it's cool. Yeah, we're having some fun with it. You know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how our audience reacts. And we, we think, you know, we're trying to, you know, just open up, talk about different things when it comes to the theater, film, independent film, independent theater. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, our show is uh, is brought to you by our sponsor, uh, Cream Ridge Golf Course, which is in Cream Ridge, New Jersey. Uh, it is also owns the the restaurant called The Roost. So you go out to play play about eighteen holes and then go right across the well, not even across the, the streets, right there uh, to the Roost restaurant. Get some good food, some good live entertainment, especially on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. So, so check it out. So check it out. So guys, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Tom, call me later. Mark, lose my phone number. All right. (laughs) Take care, guys.